Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dedicated to Henry Farman. In the year of the primal war, the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horde. From the islands to the cities, from the ports into the sea, we are strong, we will always be. Blazing through the wreckage, burning all we see, the life we lead, committed to be free. Communion is a fortress, together we are bound, a common bound in freedom and in sound. So raise your voices high for miles around to hear. Let them know that we are drawing near. In union we stand, overkill. As this happens to be the vinyl that I was playing just before... Of course, it's the vinyl I was playing. What do you expect me to say? The vinyl I was playing before beginning this podcast. Great album, Taking Over, Overkill, 1987. God damn, they printed the lyrics small. I needed a magnifying glass to see that. Or maybe it's just me. Agitators Anonymous, episode 113. Could it be 114? Who knows? I'm Alan Averill. Welcome to your Friday, Agitators Anonymous. Um, the Tuesday episode of Agitators Anonymous, which was a day in the life, I guess, of Hellfest, traveling to Hellfest, playing at Hellfest, what it's like to um, be behind the scenes at a big metal festival. Uh, came out on Tuesday. It's not on YouTube. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, maybe go and follow me on Spotify or Acast or one of the podcast platforms, and you will get the um, Tuesday episode. I think the Tuesday episodes are more, they're a bit shorter and they're going to be trying a bit of a bonus kind of thing. Um, some of them will be the video content going up, that kind of thing. But I'm trying to make a little bit of division between the two. And for the moment, I'm going to keep it up doing two. If you think, God damn, Alan, that's way too much of you per week. I completely understand that principle, that concept. Believe me, sometimes I don't even listen to the end of my own sentences. And I'm very definitely sick of my own company sometimes, but it is what it is. Agitators Anonymous, Tuesday and Friday for now. So let's get this out of the way. The show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. If you're in North America, 
um, go to the online store. You can find the link in the description and use the promo code ALAN if you're in North America and Canada and you will get 10% off your order. How cool is that? Yes, of course. Um, you're going to need the new Cannibal Corpse album. Maybe you need those brilliant 90s Merciful Fate albums, Armored Saint. The list goes on and on. I also have a returning sponsor, which is Hate Couture, www.hate, as in I hate you, C-O-U-T-U-R-E.com, 616, slash. The description is underneath. And if you use the promo code, Alan, you will get free shipping. Um, hateful yet tasteful t-shirts, merchandise, apparel, all sorts of things. Right now I'm wearing a pair of Hate Couture. Well, I guess they're board shorts. Could we say that? I don't know. I don't know much about surfing or skateboarding that probably comes as no surprise to you like i said before irish people don't belong in the beach and they don't belong in the sun in fact they probably don't really belong outside at all preferably in a dark and dingy pub in a backlit room with some maybe some candlelight or whatever we all look better in the dark anyway what are we going to talk about today um someone asked me uh this over on the patreon oh yeah patreon.com slash alnaveral uh you can go over there and support the show anyway um, they asked me to uh, speak more to singing, um, uh, something apparently I know a few things about. Now that is up for debate, certainly is up for debate whether what I know. Um, but what I'm going to try and do is consider um, what, you know, the building blocks it takes to have a voice, to structure a voice, to understand your limitations, um, to try what is the greatest fear? What is the greatest thing you need to overcome to stand um, behind a microphone and put your voice out there? And then I'm going to, for the second half of the podcast, take a look at how the elder statesmen of rock and metal cope with aging, which, let's be honest, is going to happen to all of us, and how it can affect the voice. So, like I said, let's have a little look at singing. Um, I do plan to, at some stage, make some YouTube videos about singing actually you know videos not just talking about it it's very unusual thing um some people said to me oh why don't you do demonstrations via the um the podcast and it does feel a little bit weird to start trying to sing painkiller while you're you know sitting in your um a little apartment studio i'm recording the podcasts um i'm pretty sure i would get a shoe on the ceiling um no that's not a euphemism you know what i mean anyway but I'll begin the podcast with a little sort of commentary about what at least I think is one of the most um, the most important component of any vocal performance. And it might take you by surprise, I'm not really sure. And it counts for more than you can possibly imagine, and that is confidence. Um, of course, confidence comes with age, it takes a while. But when I first discovered that I could sing to a point, and I can tell you exactly when that was. Somewhere in 1991, we started with Primordial. And there's a song called The Darkest Flame, um, which I think was one of the first songs we ever wrote, maybe in the end of 91. And I wanted to affect some sort of, oh, mesmerized sort of goth voice into the pandemonium Tom G. Warrior mixed with Christian Death. They were actually the things that sort of made me want to have this oh, kind of voice. You see, I'm doing exactly what I just said I wouldn't do, although that's not exactly, um, you know, uh, only theatre of pain is not exactly painkiller. But I would recommend going to listen to Christian Death, early Christian Death especially. Anyway, I digress. But it was sort of, that's what I wanted, this other sort of voice. And I didn't really know that I could sing. You know, rehearsals are noisy at the beginning. You're only 16. 
you don't really know what you're doing. But when we first went in to do a demo in 93, when you could hear, I could hear my voice, um, and then the album that we recorded after it, Imrama, which has Infernal Summer, which opens with, you know, um, whatever the lyrics are, at a summer's funeral, and everybody went, oh, okay, there's a voice there. You weren't really too sure. So being young, of course, you know, you're not going to have quite that confidence that comes with age. But when I first um, discovered that I could sing a little bit, I did not know, of course, what I was doing, rightly or wrongly, and some would argue I still don't. Now, I'm not a person who knows much theory or technical details, and that could be applied to literally everything that I do. I sort of, in typical Irish fashion, skirt across the thin ice and hope to get to the other side. Um, And that is one thing that you will notice with Primordial. I start on a note or movement and you sort of launch yourself across the guitars and the drums and you land on the other side. Some people try to push. If you listen to, for example, Rainbow, Kill the King, you know, and listen to the rhythm of the vocal connect with the bass drum and the bass and you will hear the hard consonants and the, you know, now, da, 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 etc, etc. You'll hear the hard consonants running with the bass drum. Um, it's a very 70s, early 80s thing to do. Um, to have the this kind of syncopation rhythm in the vocals. You know, listen to Boys Are Back in Town and listen to the, the counter rhythm going between the vocals and the drums, etc. Genius. Of course it's genius. Back when bands could rehearse every hour of the day and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, you know, of course, I'm, you can't compare yourself to Dio without really seeming a little bit ridiculous, generally, but you know what I mean. What I'm trying to say is... Um, That's not really theory, as in, you know, most engineers will try and drum that out of you. They want you to stick to the tempo map. They want to stick you to the bass drum, stick you to the bass. Anyway, Primordial is a little bit different. Like I said, I don't know much about theory or technical details. Um, Of course, I know more than when I started. And for someone who still hasn't got much of a clue what they're doing technically, it works. At least it works for me, by all means. Um, You know, Firehead, do what works for you. Some of the greatest voices of course, are no doubt straight from the heart. I would rather listen to um, The Misfits than listen to most power metal bands or really any power metal bands. But um, most this, this kind of thing comes from the heart, not the head. But there is a mixture of heart and head. Do you imagine Joey Ramone cared much for theory? You know, that said, he did worship at the altar of Phil Spector. So maybe I'm giving him a punk rock pass when he perhaps did care more about harmony well anyway you get the point knowing too much can be something of a curse but also so can knowing too little but given the choice i think so i would prefer raw undiluted passion than technically gifted if passionless vocal so my heart is still more let's say henry rollins than ripper owens apologies to the monster energy i'm sponsored ripper owens Um, Take that damn hat off. Anyway, but confidence, confidence, my friends, is one of the greatest keys, if not the greatest key to singing. I mean, many things, but we're talking about singing. If you have something to work with, something to mold, um, of course, of course, some folk are tone deaf and there ain't much you can do with that. Um, Maybe then you need to, if you want to be a singer, stick to brutal vocals, I guess. Um, But even within brutal vocals, there is a tone. No one can tell me that David Vincent can't actually sing as well or Johan from Amonomar. They hit tones. They do have a range within those brutal vocals where they move up and down. So it's not, I mean, okay, if it's some super most guttural stuff, you know, disgorge or something, then maybe that's different. Um, but 
you know, with, even within brutal vocals, you can add tone. I remember when I started doing them in 2002 on Storm Before Cam, Fall Into Ruin, that kind of thing. I wanted to take a little bit of the influence of the 70s and 80s bands that I loved, The Bad Company, Free, Blackie Lawless, etc., and put some, some grit and tone into the voice. Like I said, I'll probably try and do something on YouTube. Um, but confidence, confidence is the huge percentage. Um, and look, metal and punk or whatever, is it's a noisy business. Um, of course, you can use in-ears, which I will get to and explain. But by and large, it will be you as you're growing up um, playing in a band in a noisy room trying to sing over amps and drums and a general din. And believe me, um, if you've stood in a rehearsal room with a loud band and you've not had earplugs, most people are these days just kind of shocked by how noisy it can be. Um, of course, you know, we've played with bands with Primordial who don't even use amps. They're just there on stage for a show. They basically all have in-ear monitors, which means basically that everyone has a little little headphones in and with their own particular mix of their instrument in their headphones. Um, you know, personally, it's not my way of playing rock and roll, but I understand it. I do understand it. But like I said, metal and punk is a noisy business and you're going to have to be shouting over the general din. Um, confidence, as I said, we can apply to anything. But if you do lay out your marker as a singer, um, stepping up to the mic and finding that first note out of nowhere. This can bring the biggest man or woman down uh, to their knees. It can make a sweating, awkward, self-conscious mess of all of us as you hit that opening note wrong. I've seen it. Um, I've seen it put someone off an entire... I've seen it many times put people off entire sets. It's, it's, it's knocked my confidence. If I've come in like on a hard song to sing, let's say Traitor's Gate or something, or Where Greater Men Have Fallen, which is high, No Grave is Deep Enough is high, and you come in at the wrong key and you're all searching up and down for the key, and all of a sudden, then you start to stress, you start to worry. You really have to take a moment within that. Sometimes I've stood back and let a line go and then recompose myself and gone, right, and you have to, it sounds bizarre, but it's like looking in the mirror and going, you have this, you got this. And I know that sounds like some sort of Tony Robbins bullshit. Tony Robbins, is that the right guy? You know, the self-help guru guy. Um, but you've got to take a hold of yourself and go, no, you don't fail at this. Stand back up to the mic and get the next one right. Whereas when you're growing, when you're young, when you're trying to reach for that confidence, unless you're supremely talented, which some people are, um, that that first hitting that first note flat can it can bring you into a sweating, awkward, self-conscious mess, especially if you're starting in a band with people and they're all looking at you like, all oh, right, yeah, you said you could sing. As I said, I've seen it put people off an entire set as they've set off on the wrong path and they never quite find their way through the forest to the right path again. Maybe the monitors don't help, who knows. But the confidence to know when you step up to that mic that the voice is there and it's going to be in the right key, you're going to pitch in correctly. Um, the first step off the cliff, you have to know that your parachute is in working order and it's going to be a safe flight down and you're going to touch down on the ground the other side. Now you might, who knows, you might hit a few, um, I don't know, forest top growth on your way through. You might even break a leg. Who knows what you're going to do. But... Jumping off without the parachute, um, it can be a killer, and it can, it can be that it can be that show that someone's videoed and put up online and gone. God, look at the primordial singer guy is drunk or whatever. Sometimes you've just walked out on stage and you've heard nothing. I remember standing out on stage to sing with Destroyer Six Six Six. This, how is it that I have become the hunter of the hunted? Bit, um, 
and stood in front of Ian, my dear friend Ian, who's now Nocturnal Graves, in front of his monitor and went to sing. And his monitor was just blazing with a guitar with no singing. And I was like, oh, okay. I walked out in front of five or 10,000 people to sing this. And now I'm at sea. Um, what do I do? Stand there like Bono in the video with, you know, to not thank God it's them and put my finger on my ear. Uh, of course, so you try and reach for the higher key to sing harder and it's out of key and it's immortalized there in the party sound video and you know back when these videos got tens of thousands of views people people are like to me still to this day and go oh that was a bit rough wasn't it and you go yeah so it's that thing that confidence to go i can pitch right into this of course the videos of the other 15 20 times i did that with destroy 666 are not as popular because people want to watch um what's that fail army that's what people want to watch i get it i understand it um, but it took me a long time to have confidence. When I changed my voice, as I said, around 2002, to incorporate some more grit. If you listen to Fall Unto Ruin from Storm Before Calm compared to Gods the Godless, you'll see what I mean from the album before. Um, you want grit. And that is, in guitar terms, gain, which is, in my opinion, the hardest on the vocal cords, the blacky lawless path of most resistance. A cleaner tone is always a bit easier on the vocal cords. Um, that can be a difficult journey as there is a difference, for example, when you compare um, the old Neurosa style, which is essentially a roar, a bellow, a shout into what they became. You begin to add colour, texture, tone and notes to that roar, but it's still a roar and it's hard on your vocal cords. As you can probably hear, my vocal cords are still a bit... Oh, but if you take the coffin ships, the high part, here is where the animals lay down to die. This is hard and high. And I remember the first few times singing it, looking out and seeing friends in the audience that first time in Dublin. And it felt like there was an air of anticipation, a weight, a kind of like, oh, can he do this? And you know what? I failed. It was poor. I sang it poorly. This is 2005 or so. And I had to just sit down and have a long think about where I was headed and what I was doing. Um, are you actually going to be a musician? Are you going to be a singer? Are you going to fill out that form when you pass into different countries and write profession musician on it um, and not feel like a charlatan even if it ain't worth a dime the answer was yes I had to lick my wounds and figure out how it was to be able to climb this mountain to conquer this and be the best version of yourself vocally now because I'm sort of obsessed with numbers I would never call myself a great singer but if you can reach 9 out of 10 with what you got um, let's say a 9 out of 10 if your voice is a 7 out of 10 capacity then you're in the zone and make sure and you make sure your lowest point is still a seven out of ten which is two sevens <laughs> and not a random four or five then you are dependable you're not a worry for everyone else you do the songs justice and with some work and confidence you can shine and the feeling of knowing you've killed it there's little feelings like that in the world when you walk off the stage and go i nailed that whereas now i relish the hard parts whereas 15 years ago they they worried me they, I was anxious I was going to mess them up. So now I look forward to the hard parts in a set. Of course, there are times when you feel a bit sick, a bit off, the throat does not feel 100%, then you have to work with what you have. But if you imagine your voice like the neck of a guitar, for example, um, you know, you, you can see the notes. Obviously, you can see where the notes and chords are. Maybe live you can slide into them, you know, as you say. But with the voice, the biggest issue of all is the ability to lean right into that first note in key the confidence within your head to understand what your ability is to listen to what's around you to go okay so this song is in c 
for example. I mean, I don't listen to a song and go, oh, this one is in D flat, etc., etc., or D sharp or whatever. Um, but you have to believe within yourself, I can hit that note and simply open your, nout, your mouth um, or your snout um, and you're kind of there. Um, this is, I suppose, what is technically called perfect pitch. And uh, now very few people have this, the ability to just pitch right into a song. Um, I mean, harmonising is a more complicated thing and there are attempts throughout the Promodial albums at harmony. Um, sometimes I understand what I'm doing, sometimes I don't. And you, you know, you might do a three or four part harmony, which is like um, layering out the notes. So, you know, if you pick up a guitar um, and you know where the harmony um, six frets up or whatever it is. I've probably said that wrong as well. But you know, you know, the classic harmony places are. It's not that hard to figure out which bits work with which. If you're just learning the guitar and you're sitting there with your buddy going, uh, you OK, you just play C and then you figure out where the harmony is and then the other harmony and then the other harmony. Imagine doing that with your vocals as you're layering. Um, you know, the perfect example of doing this to extremity is like Def Leppard Hysteria or something where you, it's just overloaded with huge vocal harmonies or listen to Dokken In My Dreams that song at the start and you will hear um, incre an incredible harmonised vocal intro um, anyway so that's the biggest issue is like just opening much and going okay right I'm in I'm right in pitch and not be flat you want an example of flat singing and I know this is not you know maybe a little bit cruel but take some of the Blaze Bailey Iron Maiden albums and take a song like Sign of the Cross and you can hear this is kind of flat flat compared to for example a Bruce Dickinson song like Revelations let us say and you can hear the difference nothing against Blaze Bailey um you know he has a great spirit and I actually saw Wolfsbane his old band back in maybe 89 or 90 as a young teenager and he was a great barroom singer in fact Wolfsbane were a pretty bloody good band they have an album from 89 or 90 I don't remember what it's called Manhunt all that kind of stuff go and check it out um, of course you know his voice changed through the years and I've seen him do you know really really sterling efforts but there is something a bit flat on that particular album um, anyway I digress repetition is part of the key and finding out where your range is, is important. I could advise maybe um, going to a rehearsal room and just booking it without the band and maybe bringing something to play the song you're trying through the PA. Um, or maybe you've recorded an album and you want to practice vocals. Get a, get a mix of the album without the vocal and then sing along at a lower volume with just the vocal with the PA um, with the music you don't need the whole band there just get everything else on them on a like a multi-track or something or as an mp3 and sing along to that bring the music down in volume and maybe video yourself and then watch back and watch your technique watch what you're doing wrong and you could be able to hear everything and it may sound really strange people have different styles but the the wider you open your mouth the more you can project those you know, project those things. And if you want kind of warm-ups, uh, the E-I-O-I-U, like doing the vowels, but like shaping them with your mouth helps the muscles around your neck and your face and your head. Of course, a video for this would be uh, better explaining things. But if you are trying to sing over a band, I would advise maybe, or you're, you're, you're just starting with a band and they're going to go, hey, you need to cover, you know, Seek and Destroy. Well, you know, it's not that easy to sing. Maybe take, um, go and bulk a rehearsal room and try singing over it without a band playing, you know, anyway. 
repetition is also part of the key and finding out where your range is is important maybe your range is you're you're a, you're a James Hetfield you're a you're a mid-range James Hetfield is a brilliant vocalist by the way but he, he doesn't sing falsetto he doesn't sing high um but he's in that mid-range and he's he's hard he's tough he's a great voice his voice sounds I think almost the best on the garage inc listen to his uh, some of the for whatever that reason that is I don't know why and I love his voice master, master puppets brilliant singing on justice for all as well um, actually, on the new album, he sounds very, very good. Listen to Moth to Flame or whatever. But um, but on Garage Inc., he really kills it. His his Merciful Fate and stuff, brilliant. Um, you know, on a long and lonesome highway, whatever, etc. Great, great, great stuff. Anyway, a friend of mine was once getting singing lessons. And this may sound strange, but I knew from the timbre, the timbre of his voice, he was not going to be able to do it. Several months later, he came back to me and he said, It's hard. I went, no shit, Sherlock. It is hard. I mean, it's hard. It's a noise you make with your body. A noise that's connected to muscle, skin and bone. And all this stuff you can't see. And where does it come from? I mean, you can be sick and play the guitar. You can be Johnny Thunders and doubled over with heroin and still kick out the jams. But the voice is different. And I would still contend um, that more... Uh, I can still still contend, as I said, that half the battle is confidence, or at least a great percentage of the battle is confidence. Unless, of course, you're supremely talented, but we can't all be Dio. But just like my friend who found sing, singing harder than he thought, the same, you know, this is going to sound a bit silly, but the same with a friend who I play football with who persists in the idea he's a dashing winger. But truth be told, he ain't got no skill. Well, he could play within his game and defend and get in the way and lay off the ball, to people who have the skill, but of course that's not as much fun. I get it. And we all want to believe we can sing Painkiller, right? Personally, I cut the skill out of my game, out of my football game for the most part. I rather a crunching tackle and winning than doing stepovers. But hey, that's just me. But I'm getting bogged down in football analogies. Maybe that's because I'm going playing football later on and I'm half thinking about my half my mind is on the pitch. That's the kind of pro that I am. But this all said, what I'm trying to get at is if Dio is the messy of singing, then that 25% we are more um, or more we put down to sheer untouchable magic, to skill, to incredible talent. Most of us will never hit a note like that. You'll never hit a note like Dio. You're not going to be able to sing Stargazer. But what you can do is train yourself to be a functional and hard to play against defender. And it's the same with singing. Objectively, the guy from Sabaton, I can't remember his name. Um, good dude. Talked, uh, talked history with him one time in Hungary at some festival over a few beers. I'm not a Sabaton hater. I think um, the cultural aspect of what they represent and support, great, great. Got to be better than, um, I don't know, joke, gore grind, singing about killing prostitutes or whatever. Um, if you don't know what any of that sentence meant, just ignore it. Anyway, but f objectively, he's not a great singer. And I think he knows this also. But what he figured out is what works for him and for the people who like his band. And within those confines, it works for him. He's a, he's a functional midfielder, but he can, he can stop. I'm talking about football again. But he knows he won't be Dio. And you know what? So do I. So you work with what you have, and you try to make your 7 out of 10 skill levels operate at a strong 9 out of 10, and at worst, a passable 6. If you're maybe a bit evil, a bit evil, <laughs> a bit ill, or evil even, um, or having a bad day, technically, that you're able to lock in with some confidence and go, and I've done this before, where I've thought, right, you're not feeling tip-top, 
Um, you know, you've been singing for a few days in a row. The voice is rebounding. The grit is kind of there. And you, you'll do, you know, you'll dive in and out of a few higher bits. You maybe go a bit lower in places. You won't, you'll, you'll change the set around, which sometimes we do with Promoter. We did it on the last tour when I wasn't feeling great. Open with Gods to the Godless, which is a much easier song to sing than where Greater Men Have Fallen, which is way higher, way harder. Sometimes you might tailor the set a bit. Or, you know, you might move the songs around or you approach things in a little bit different, different um, with different levels of dynamism, um, which help if you have in-ear monitors, because then you can sing a little bit quieter, a little bit lower and have a little bit less output. And if you're front of house, your guy or girl or whoever's doing the front of house is out there knows, OK, he's pull, he's firing on 70 percent of the cylinders, which is enough, which is enough. Um, you can get through it and you learn with a bit of skill to move in and out of the notes. Um, of course, if you're going to stay up all night drinking or drugging or whatever, um, then your voice is going to, um, you know, suffer. Like I said, with the Hellfast podcast on Tuesday, stay hydrated. That's the most important thing. Sleep and stay hydrated. Anyway, 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 anyway. So before we start the second part, the second half um, of the podcast, you will indulge me a small bit of self-promotion and it's something I realize I've never mentioned on the podcast and that is that I am a booking agent over at Dragon Productions from Germany maybe you do a festival maybe you run a venue maybe who knows what you do maybe you've got a bar mitzvah and are looking for a, a band to play well here is who I book or help out or whatever you want to say Gamma Bomb Gehenna Miss Firming Nocturnus AD Rome Farg skepticism, esoteric and tearfing from Sweden. If you want to email me or DM me about any of those, it's alan at dragon slash productions dot com. If you're running a festival and think to yourself, God damn it, I need those Swedish pagan metal masters tearfing on the bill or those um, crazy kooky Irish thrash legends gamma bomb. Get in touch with me. All right. Now on with the second part. I thought to myself for the second half of the podcast um, or whatever the last third I would look at the performance of some of the older guys the older bands um, first things first the classic old school way of singing the 70s and 80s bands did has so many great singers um, not many people really sing like that anymore um, of course all those guys are now 60 to 75 and age takes its toll so is it right that people go and see bands in their last years and come away disappointed or seem pissed off or annoyed I think for the most part it's unfair but I'll use a few examples for illustration to be frank um, I think the YouTube comment section is one of the um, strangest um, weirdest problems inherent in modern online life because what you've allowed someone to do is on some level indelibly make their mark on something you've created Let's say Promodio makes a video, like we did for the song Exile Amongst the Ruins, with a story, you've put a lot of effort into it, you're there for a whole weekend, there's, you know, you costumes, uniforms, there's a storyline, there's some proper work and creativity went into it. But the YouTube comment section is like leaving a small white square at the bottom of your painting for someone else to scribble in. Rubbish, hate that band, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's like this little aperture um, for someone to just shit on what you've just done. And unless you... Um, delete the comment it's there for all time so they're actively part of the thing that you've created so you didn't get to actively be part of someone else's creativity in any capacity before the last 10 15 years 
it was preserve of the artist and the critics. And you talked about it amongst yourself, um, your friends or whatever. You came in the next day after buying Injustice for All. I don't know. Or what do you think of the video of one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how cool does James Hetfield look, et cetera, et cetera. Is this really good for anything allowing, uh, how we say, this sort of kind of like, it's kind of like mudslinging on a small scale within the public square, so to say. Well, maybe not the public square, the artistic square. Is it good for anything? Or just a way for anonymous narcissists to have their say and indelibly leave their mucky fingerprint on your work? So that brings me to my point. So the same, it's the same, I think, with the live videos of old bands um, or even bands who are having an off day. You know, Robert Plant, no doubt, had his off days in the 70s. I mean, he had his, he had an off day at Live Aid in 1986 when Led Zeppelin reformed and so much of an off day that they removed it from the original a video or DVD you can catch it online now and it is true they are pretty awful um, but you can go and find that to see what having an off day is like but you know or Roger Daltrey probably had some awful days in the 70s from The Who brilliant singer by the way also how did The Who go from mod fathers to rockers weren't the mods and the rockers against each other anyway live at Leeds go and listen to that by The Who anyway precious few of them exist on video but you go to a white snake, a white snake show now, and then complain in the YouTube comments section. It seems to me churlish. It seems a bit uncharitable. It seems ridiculous because David Coverdale is seventy-two, and you know what? What do you kind of expect him to be like he was in nineteen eighty-two? How could he be? And now, of course, there is a fine line to be walked. Coverdale still has a voice. He, I think, he looks great. Um, you know, he looks a bit sort of tanned and furnished and, a bit, you know, a bit nip and tucked, but he can still rock out. He can still move around. Um, the high range is gone and the band are down tuned, but he can still sing. And sure, he's backed by a band who are covering his high notes, but he can move around and maybe it's better to simply celebrate the guy's life and enjoy the show. The band sound great, but this can't be said for everyone. If you take the case of Bon Jovi, um, this is something different. Go and find a new video of Bon Jovi and oh, ho, ho, this is, he's really struggling. And he's younger than um, David Coverdale. And um, it would seem he can't sing at all. Someone made the point to me that it, it's look, it looks like he's had so much plastic surgery that it's restricting the movement of his face. This could be, I don't know if that's really a thing, but it kind of looks like he's had a stroke and is now relearning not just how to sing, but how to speak. And it's beyond awful. And I noticed this on the Rock in Rio show. If you go and look, he can barely sing. I don't know. Does does too much plastic surgery affect the voice? Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Sorry, John, don't come for me. Um, but there's a fine line. There's a fine line. And I think someone complaining on the comment section under some new Whitesnake live footage um, is most uncharitable. Yeah, with Bon Jovi, I get it. If you paid 100 or $200 or something to get into the show and he can't sing at all. And let's be clear, Bon Jovi singing ain't easy. You give love a bad name. This is high. It really ain't easy. But maybe the industry behind him, the machine that makes so much money, just can't afford after two years off. Um, there's crew who need to be paid. There's people pushing him out there. But someone should maybe have a word and go, maybe this ain't the best idea. Um, having done the festivals for years and years, you can spot the drinkers once they hit 50 plus. Um, the boozers. Um, as this really sags out the body and ages people. Hey, I'm Irish. 
um, this is our <laughs> our modus operandi. This is where we come into our own understanding the effects of alcoholism. Um, all you have to do is walk out my front door and look around the streets or go into the nearest bar and you will see that person. Uh, the druggies, they tend to be thinner and leaner, depending on the drug, of course, or where, whereas they could be dead. But the heart can't, of course, take this forever. And you saw this in Lemmy over the years, over the last 20, you know, from 55 onwards, the band are tuning down to compensate um, what's happening. He it's, he seems to have respiratory problems constantly. Even in interviews, he's wheezing. Hard to sing. And so they're tuning down to accommodate that. Um, and would you be disappointed if you saw one of those last Modair shows where Lemmy was really racked with cancer pain? I wouldn't. I think it was, as we said in the YouTube video, me and Addy, he was a warrior who wanted to go out in his own terms. And you know what? Um, it was kind of our privilege to stand in the same room as him. Um, and he earned the right to go out on it, to die on his own sword, so to speak. It's a bit different with the Bon Jovi situation, but, you know, some people do, I think, misunderstand these situations. So let's clear a few technical things up. What are backing tapes? Uh, in the case of KISS, and it's just something that people are talking about a lot recently, and this is just such a, a modern online phenomenon. Find a band who gets loads of clicks and then find something positive or negative to complain about them. Um, you know, say that they're racist, say that they're this, say that they're that. Dredge up a story from 1985. Here's what Nicky Six said about his road crew in 86. Or, you know, because it gets... It gets clicks in a kind of um, faceless, modern, characterless rock world to still talk about Kiss. So what are backing tapes? And I often hear this leveled against Wasp. So I'll try and explain what that means. We all know what a metronome is, right? Tick, 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 tick. Right, a metronome. Um, so you maybe a song is 320 BPM, um, beats per minute. Take the album Euthanasia by Megadeth as a good example. All mid-paced rock songs. Um, and you can hear throughout that album just this metronomic duck, 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 duck pace to all the songs. So the drummer of said band has this in his ears. So when the tss, 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 tick, 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 tick comes straight in and the drummer plays to the metronome. He has his in-ears in, as I explained before, his little, uh, you know, his earplugs in. So he's listening or she is listening to the metronome and is keeping perfect time. This is a, a real, like a pro, a band who are really, really super well rehearsed. So the band rehearses like this. To the, it's called a click track, a metronome, which is quite a skill for a drummer. Not every drummer can do it to be able to hear the music, perform, put on a show, but also click, 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 click. So this means the song is exactly the same tempo every time live every single time the chorus comes in at exactly the same moment. So then, when you have your backing tapes, um, well, for example, Primordial doesn't use any of them. Our songs can veer <laughs> at slightly uh, different tempos and paces. If you listen to our live album, you will hear some of the songs are faster than uh, they are on the record. Anyway, so what happens is when the chorus happens, it happens at exactly the same moment. And what happens is somewhere the sound man or woman out the front, doing the front of house, uh, is in control of a fader. Um, which is, you know, the volume of the backing tape, i.e. the backing vocals for a chorus. And often bands blend these in with the live vocal. And many bands have them. Um, in Flames, for example, um, all the way to Kiss. I mean, I watched a certain female-fronted death metal band from Sweden who changed singers a few years ago and watched their previous singer from stage right, and it looked to me like she was miming along to everything. 
well, that was just how it looked to me. But anyway, that's slightly different. But with Wasp, the backing vocals come from a tape. Maybe the guys on either side are singing along to the tape, along with Blackie. But it looks to me, and it looks with Kiss, for example, um, you know, that whatever the guy's singing, or the guitar player, Tommy Thayer, is it? He's a good singer. But, and you watched... Um, you watch these bands and the backing vocals come from a tape the front of house blends them in and the drummer keeps them locked into that metronomic time so the songs are always the same and so he's in you know the the you're in control of the backing vocals and you blend them in so with wasp the backing vocals come from a tape this is clear i don't think the bass player to me doesn't look like he's singing 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 um and the drummer keeps them locked in so the front of house has a sample of those backing vocals and blends it with a live vocal. Maybe 50-50, maybe 60-40, maybe 70-30. Many, many bands do this. So as you see from this footage of Paul Stanley, it looks like he simply missed his cue um, for this backing vocal to sing along with the backing vocal. Um, but you watch the rest of the show or other songs, other footage recently, and he's clearly singing a main lead vocal. But you know what? At 71, 70, sometimes he needs some help, right? Um, so maybe that night they say to the front house guy, blend in 25% of the tape. Maybe they said 75% of the tape. Maybe they said 90% of the tape. Um, as I'm sure they have, a, I also, I'm also sure they have a main vocal running at times, but just muted. And so the front house has a, has a lot of work to do to really watch um, how the band are feeling, how they're reacting. Are they having a good night, a bad night? These guys are 70, don't forget. I mean, it doesn't help, of, you know, of course, when Gene Simmons comes out and makes statements about other bands using tapes and then his band does it. But look, if you think the world of Kiss isn't full of contradictions and a little conceit, then I think you're kind of misunderstanding what Kiss is. And the vocal cords age, the body ages. I'd have no idea if I'm going to be able to sing those same songs in 10 years, let alone when I'm 70. So I think people need to be a bit more charitable. And they also need to try and maybe understand some of the technical details. When you hear the chorus of I want to be somebody, um, it is coming from a backing tape. But that doesn't mean all the vocals are coming from a backing tape. It can just be to just boost out the sound, to put, to widen the sound. You know, um, the vocal cords age, the body ages. One of the reasons, for example, Dio had such a strong voice. I put down to his size. He was a small man with a huge voice. He never had an ounce of fat on him. He never had size to lose. He was never, a, let's say, a strapping young lad who was going to shrivel to be an old man. He was, in many ways, always the size of an old man. Drank a few beers, I think, but not, not a drug guy. Very professional. And having stood more or less at Sam's side of stage, sort of, kind of, not at the side of stage, but within earshot, once to watch a song, um, his voice was huge. And, of course, he never doubted it for a moment. I mean, look, he's Dio. But he also never sang falsetto. He sang, I would say, in this 5 to 7 from 10 range, sometimes peaking at an 8. But he never painkillered and he never thundersteeled. And so, of course, for the guys who did falsetto, like thundersteel of high, this is much harder to do with age. I mean, if you watch um, Todd Michael Hall or whatever his name is, Todd uh, Anthony, whatever his name is, from Riot, um, here's a man who obviously doesn't drink, doesn't drug, takes care of himself supremely. He's an athlete um, and he is an incredible a heavy metal singer and you here's where you see how it pays off to not be the drug or the drinker to look after yourself and also mixed with incredible talent um and you can see this guy is going to be able to sing in another 10 years okay so you know what i mean 
it's hard, but it's harder to do with age. Rumor has it, um, you know, King Diamond is helped by his wife blending and singing from the side of the stage for some of the high bits. King Diamond is 60-something, 63, 64. That's just a rumor. Um, although on the numerous of fate videos, it looks like he's pure killing it. His voice is incredible. But he also had triple bypass surgery and quit the smoking a few years ago. And since then, not touring, only playing weekends and festivals, he can keep it intact. But in the old days, he lost his voice regularly. Um, I saw Marcel Fade in Greece in 96, and he couldn't sing. He croaked his way through a few songs. Anyway, my point about the backing tracks is that people say to me, oh, Blackie Lawless can't sing anymore. And I watch the show, and true enough, he doesn't play much guitar or have his guitar in the mix. He does the odd solo. But that lead vocal, he is doing that, as far as I can see. And he has a voice still. It's the choruses you can concede are from a tape. But for many, this is an industry standard. I remember seeing Y&T once years ago and they were all harmonising perfectly with such ease many old bands had to do that but you know we've all seen old guys and girls struggling as they get older and then no doubt will happen to me and maybe I'm making a rod to beat my own back with but in society where we are clearly ageist and don't want people to age or show the wear and tear of a life lived I think we have to be charitable it's easy to just shit on whoever it is in the comment section and say they you know they haven't they got enough money maybe so what's the alternative Don Dockin sits and around in his garden and waits to die. Once a musician, always a musician, I think. And the desire to step back out onto the stage never leaves, I think. It didn't for Lemmy. And he tried it right up until a month or two before he died, right? He was still up there with cancer pain, getting up there singing Iron Fist. Um, like I said, he was a warrior. So, you know what? Don Dawkins can't sing that much anymore. He's got some voice left, but it's not much. He had cancer. He's 71, I think. He was a boozer, by all accounts. Um, I, I think, I allegedly, right? he has problems now walking and he's using his right arm, I think, after the surgery. Problems using his arm. But you know what? I've never seen Dokken and I'd go. Of course I would. And we all have to place his life in context and maybe just celebrate the fact that, God damn it, there's Don Dokken. Now, of course, having a super fit and healthy George Lynch standing beside you from those old days looking half your age when he is the same age roughly doesn't help. But one makes noise with an instrument, the other with the body. And the body ages. And you know what? The way, if some of you don't know who Tommy Cooper is, he's an old English um, comedian. Very funny. Um, and he died on stage. He collapsed on stage and fell um, between the curtains. And people thought it was part of the act. But he just had a massive coronary. And he went out just like a light. And maybe that's the way to go. Maybe that is the way to go out. Um and these old guys and girls and whoever of these old bands you like from the 70s and 80s, they are legends and soon enough they won't be around anymore at all in any capacity. It's a short spin around the ball of dirt. Do what thou wilt, right? So if you want to get up there and do it one last time, who are we to say you can't? And a band can replace all the cogs in a machine. They can replace the drummer, but the original voice, hard to replace. However, listen, if I'm 72 and sing karaoke in a bingo hall, uh, what's bingo daddy well google it uh, to 17 old fat dudes at the bar talking about the old days afterwards when we roamed the earth as young men well what harm we're all gonna be dead soon enough anyway so my friends Friday's episode of Agitators Anonymous is a take that's a wrap Planet Satan over and out I am Alan Averill and we will catch you next week I thank you